This week, after a rather difficult D&D session, I'm going to talk to you about what it's like as a DM when you kill a player. And then we're talking all about roles within combat and how to think about them when building your encounters. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the D&D podcast for everyone because here we speak common. This is uh, the D&D podcast for everyone. It's, you know, the place to come and talk about D&D and learn and get better and, and talk about all the stuff that's going on in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. It is brought to you in partnership with two fantastic partners, the first of which are the Dice Dungeon. They're your one-stop shop to get well, dice for D&D, whether that's metal, resin, or a bag of fates. Well, it's the cheapest way to buy yourself a premium set of metal dice, and there's a fun little luck element into it. You never know what set you're going to get. Uh, you can get yourself 10% off any purchase, and that's your entire cart at Dice Dungeon using the code WESPEAKCOMMON at checkout. There's a link in the description below that you can follow or paste into your uh, browser of choice, and that should uh, automatically put the discount on for you. If not, just enter the code WESPEAKCOMMON at checkout. And of course, with the announcement of some new books being released towards the end of this year, it is the place to get your D&D books. We'll talk more about those a little bit later. The second partner of our show is Describe. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B. Uh, Describe is your one-stop shop for creative writing. If you're not very good at flavor text, but you run a homebrew game and just wish you had that box text provided for you, they do all that hard work. They've got professional creative writers who writes uh, descriptions for spells, locations, and monsters. And soon, uh, they're going to be adding items on there as well. You can get access to a load of those for free right now at describe.com. Uh, but if you want to get access to the growing collection, which is over 1,500 pieces strong, uh, then you need to have a subscription. You can get 10% uh, off your uh, monthly cost every month for two years using the code COMMON at checkout. Again. There's a link in the description below, uh, and uh, the website is described, com. I am here uh, alone today on a very, very hot UK day. Um, I am so, I'm like sweating. It's so hot in here. I've got the window shut as well so that I can record. Um, so I have got a big jug of water. So if you hear me drinking during this episode, it's because, well, you've got to stay hydrated, haven't you? Um and uh, I'm just going to, uh, we've got a topic to go into today, but I wanted to just talk for a bit first because it, it's been a while since we've had a bit of a, just like a D&D &D catch up. And um, there seems to be lots going on in the D&D &D world at the moment too, especially with the week of legend lore. Um, if you don't know what that is, it was a week of WotC putting out information about some D&D &D stuff that's going to be happening. So there's a lot of stuff that we've got to talk about. Um, I'd say, well, let's start with that. Let's let's go into that stuff first. So we now know uh, the leaks for the books are confirmed. We have two new books coming out for Wizards uh, of the Coast for D&D in September and November. The September release is an adventure called, uh, is it Beyond the Witchlight or something like that? Hang on, I'm going to... I, I should have checked this before I <laughs> started talking about it. I thought I knew it, but clearly I um I don't. I just scroll up in the 
we speak on Discord because uh, we've been talking about it in there. So the first one is the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. There we go. So this is an adventure that runs from levels one to eight, and it's set in the Feywild, which is big stuff because lots of people want Feywild stuff. It's been a, a topic of conversation amongst 5e for, well, since 5e was released. So I think we're going to get, and I think this is the trend now, looking at adventure books, um, looking at the last few that we've had. You know, we've had... Uh, Tomb of Annihilation, which was the last kind of adventure that was just an adventure. Like, yeah, it was set in Chult, but it wasn't a setting book. It was set in, in, in where it was based. We've had Waterdeep, Dragon Heist, and Dungeon Mad Mage. Uh, Boulder's Gate, Descent into Avernus. Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Um, they're all settings and have enough information for you to run those settings as well as adventures in them. So I'm getting a feeling that from now on, all adventures are going to have a bit of a setting guide feel to them. Maybe not as in-depth as we would want for like the entirety of the Feywild. I reckon this will be um, a small section of it. But I get the feeling that it's going to have that, and I think that's going to be a trend so that there's like a, a an incentive to buy every adventure. Because I certainly, as a DM, I buy all the books that have rules in them, and I buy the adventures I'm going to run. So, like, I don't own many of the first adventures. I only own the ones I want to run. Whereas the setting books, I own all of them. And if uh, I'm not going to run, I might run Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I might not. But if I'm not going to, I will probably still buy it because it's going to have setting info on the Feywild, which is important. There's a lot of speculation around this book. Uh, it's got a carnival in it, which seems to be a mirror to the carnival within Van Richten's Guide to... Ravenloft, there is a carnival that travels around the domains of dread, and the person that runs that carnival swapped their uh, traded their original carnival with a couple of Shadokai from the Shadowfell. Um there's a lot of speculation that those Shadokai and this carnival in Wild Beyond the Witchlight will be that one mentioned in Ravenloft to give it a connection. Uh I don't know. I think we just gotta wait and see, but there will be more uh, announced about it at the DD Live event which I believe is at the end of July. So there's that. It releases on September 21st. The other book that's been announced, of course, is Strixhaven Curriculum of Chaos. This is a setting book for the Magic the Gathering setting of Strixhaven, which is a big magic school. I'm interested in this. I don't know if there's an adventure in it. There might be one or two, like, small adventures. I know that, for example, um, I'm looking at my shelf now to try and remember which one. Like, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount has an adventure in it. Ebron has an adventure in it, I think uh van richton's guide has one uh, you know they all have a small starting adventure in them so i expect there will be that in there should be interesting if you want to find out more about strixhaven of course there's loads of lore for magic in the gathering magic the gathering but um there is a ua out now for um strixhaven subclasses i've looked briefly at them it's very interesting to see that there are subclasses that are available to more than one class so you can pick them like for example i think there's five and they're like schools of magic and one of them can be picked by a bard, druid, and wizard, for example. And they give you different things. Interesting to see how that's going to play off, whether that's going to be something that definitely happens or not uh, in, in the book, um, or whether they stick to the traditional one subclass per uh, class. So I have also, uh, just yesterday actually, found another bit of sneaky info in that... Um, somebody i can't see who tweeted it 
Uh, I'll have to check. It's been playing around on the Reddits, but there's a tweet out that says that confirms that yes, Wild Beyond the Witchlight is the Chris Perkins story product that was referenced in the What's the Dev blog that happened earlier in the year or late last year, whenever it was. Um, Strixhaven is the Amanda Heyman project. Um, and they've not yet announced the third product because we know that there is a third book because we were meant to have four this year uh, that's being worked on by James Wyatt. Um, it's been announced that it will release between Witchlight and Strixhaven, meaning it will come out after September 21st, before November. I'm going to say like 16th. I don't know what the date is. Uh, see if it's on here. On my notes. Uh, no, I don't have a date for that one. I know it's November. Um, but as a bit of uh, idea of what we might expect from this book, obviously nothing confirmed. James Wyatt wrote, uh, wrote the Draconic Prophecies trilogy of books and co-authored the Drano uh, Draconinom... I can never say this. Draconomicon. 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 There you go. Uh, which is the third edition book all about dragons and um if we find out more about what this book is going to be from james wyatt i will get james to come on and do an episode because he has that third edition book and james loves dragons so we'll we'll get him on to talk about it but uh, he recently was one of the main writers working on the two dragon themed unearthed arcanas that we had one was uh it was subclasses part five so that had the drake warden ranger the uh ascendant dragon monk as well and he also worked on the uh draconic options the nine dragon themed spells the three dragon feats and then the reworked kobold and chromatic metallic and gem dragonborn so we know he's spearheading this it's got to be something like maybe a draconomicon a draconomicon it's hard to say uh, or at least a a book that's setting heavy or dragon heavy, maybe a Dragonlance setting book, that would be cool. Who knows? I mean, we just have to we just have to wait and see, but definitely gonna be dragon themed, I think it's safe to say. So that's really interesting. So that's all happened in the last week. And um I'm really pumped for it. I mean, I will definitely be buying uh Witchlight, I think, um, and Strixhaven because of their setting lore and stuff. Um, that's just interesting and useful to me to have. Um, sorry, I realised I've come upstairs. As soon as I've started recording, I seem to have got ill. <laughs> My hay fever seems to have come out of nowhere. And she's crazy, but there we go. Always happens when you start recording. Um, so yeah, so we've just got to wait and see, but I'm I'm interested. And I think that we're starting to fall into that D&D &D announcement area. And of course, if you follow Magic, spoiler season's coming out soon for adventures in forgotten realms that happens at the end of july very excited for that set um i am a, a magic the gathering player <laughs> surprise um and it's set in Faerun, so i'm interested um we've got dark alliance the video game coming out very soon there's lots of stuff going on for dnd at the moment and with dnd live right around the corner we'll get more info i'm sure i reckon that's where they'll announce this third book uh because that's you gotta remember when they released um uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. We knew that was coming, and then at D&D at &D Live, they suddenly announced, oh yeah, by the way, we're also doing this level 5 to 20 adventure for Dungeon of the Mad Mage 2. Like, we didn't know that was coming until the event. 
so yeah lots going on lots happening if you want to be part of the community behind we speak common that, that sits and talks and discusses all of this head over to our, our patreon there's a link below supporting gets you access to the um the dnd discord which is where all that info is and all that chat is as well as other stuff so yeah so that's happening and then um i'm recording this on the morning after my last dnd session so Last night we ran, we played a, another adventure in another session in our Tomb of Annihilation adventure, which um, it's been three weeks since we played. And uh, in our last session, we lost our artificer, Zosimos. He died uh, from his fever. He was ill uh, and he had a cursed item. So he, he wasn't doing well. Um, so we were excited to get in you know, say our farewells, but also bring in a new character. And um, it was a really good session. I mean, they had two days. They've travelled for two days, effectively, and then they've got like half a day to go. So, um, and they had one rather large combat encounter, but it was for their first foray into the edge of greater undead territory. Now, if you if you run TOA, you know what I'm talking about, but basically the jungles are broken up between sort of standard jungle areas, areas where there's, lesser undead in the areas where there's greater undead and um basically there's a higher chance of coming up across more undead but also tougher undead and i ran an encounter that went down a tree um i've had some really good feedback from the players they all really loved it so i want to talk about that but um it did end in uh another character death and i'm feeling very weird about it today i think because it was just two deaths in a row. We've had three now. That's a lot, you know. I feel a little bit guilty. But, you know, that's the game. It happens, and we knew going in that this was a tough adventure, that there would be death. That is the theme. It is, it's very much kind of like a a Rogue One story. The adventurers all sacrifice themselves at the end kind of thing. But it happens all the way through. Um, but yeah, I don't like killing characters. I don't like it. I think it's necessary. Like, it's a part of the game. You have to have risk. And, you know, Ray said something last night that I think was is very true you know if your character dies and you don't feel upset or a little bit angry or a bit annoyed then you're not connected to your character are you and that's true i know that um you know if my character if claff died god i'd be a wreck i'd be so upset i'd be frustrated as well i love him and that's that's why we love D because we connect with these characters we create and the stories that we tell with them. But I hate doing that to people. I hate doing that to players. It's frustrating. And I think that as DMs, we need to remember that and we need to look after each other and ourselves. So, you know, if you're killing off characters at the moment, I get it. It's rough. It's, I think it's as rough for us in a different way as it is for the players. And I don't mean that to diminish the players' experience, but I think people forget that 
it, it's hard to do, to do that to someone, to to kill their character and watch them get upset and sad about it and know that, well, that that's kind of you're doing. I mean, it isn't, but it also is at the same time. It's a weird one. It's really weird. So I'm feeling that today. Um, and it will go much like, you know, Wes will come to terms with the fact that Nevin is, is gone now um, and get excited about a new character. But yeah, I think that with, with 5e being so story focused and, and this culture around D&D about telling stories and being so role play heavy now, rather than comparing it back to like AD&D when it was a game and that's just kind of how it was and and like looking at osr revivals like these are stories and those were games in my mind and if i was playing a game if i was playing you know dungeon crawl classic um and i died a bit like, oh yeah i'm new character time but this is this is more story focused and more there's more attachment there and i think it just makes it difficult but i'd be interesting to hear from you as dms who have gone through adventures and killed players like what is what do you how do you get through that how do you what do you do how do you feel because for me i've always made it about and i'm sure, i know we've talked about it before but for me i i always make it about the the character i try and give them the best send off i can there in that moment i give them a moment i make it about that character because in dnd when a character dies their story ends early and that is and always will be disappointing to some extent unless they're dying right at the very end, you know, and then it can be a big sacrifice for the world or, or something, you know, there's a purpose to it then. Um, so I always try to give them the chance to have a moment, have a bookend, have a, some sort of not tied in any way possible, but there's still that emotion. So it's still difficult. So I'd love to hear from other DMs about how you feel about that. Maybe maybe I'm too sensitive. Maybe I just need to suck it up and get on with it. But there's that. And there's an interesting one as well. I had a conversation with Phoebe last night because bear in mind, you know, we live together. And she said to me, I have survivor's guilt. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, because... She was like, well, she, she, her character, she had a, we all had a big connection to Nevin. Wesley's a great role play. You can't not have connections to his characters. But she said, I... I feel... Like, I'm the squishiest person, and yet somehow I've survived this long. And I said, yeah, I get that, but you, you've you also kind of... Can you hear my belly rumbling? Oh, my God. Inappropriate belly. Come on. Having an emotional conversation here. Um, I said, you know, your your character is very smart, and you play her because you want to survive. I mean, you all know that you're in a very deadly area. And she always, like, gets up in a tree, so she's kind of out of the way. And in this combat that we had, she was, she, for the first time, she was at risk from that tactic. You know, it could have gone, a complete, you know, the dice could roll differently and she could have died this, this, this session too. Um, but she said to me, I feel like, are you, I feel like, am I staying alive because I'm your girlfriend? And I said, no, <laughs> no, that's, I don't do that. But also, you know, you've seen now, just how deadly it was i mean we always knew going in but now we've seen it um know that if you die it's not personal you can't please don't be angry at me just have some space and i think that's something we should um we should talk about at some point as well for dms and players who live together 
it's how to separate that from the table because I know I said to Phoebe I said I mean think about Lilith if Lilith had died and there was a session where it came very close and I saw her coming to that coming to terms with that at the table and um she's like oh, I would have been a wreck I said yeah and uh you know the more you play with Runa the closer it's going to get to that so the harder it will be but if it happens it happens and you just got to find a way through it and we just need to talk about it I did make a note of sending the group a message today to say, look, if you want to chat about anything, we've had some very tough sessions over the past three weeks, for three sessions, um, then let me know. But yeah, so heavy one. But this combat encounter was one that I think you should steal. Um, it was a really, really interesting one. Um, if you've got Undead coming up, here's what I did. Um, I knew the party were heading into greater Undead territory, and so they might roll for Undead, so I set up an encounter ahead of time. <laughs> As a Theatre of the Mind DM, I did use a grid for this one. I used Albert Rodeo because it, it was going to be needed. There's lots of moving parts in this encounter. There were um, eight zombies in total. Uh, five at first, three more that came in in a wave. The characters see them. You roll initiative. They stumble out from the trees. They shamble. They run up and they, you know, they look like normal zombies. But um, the skeleton is the stat block I'm using. Uh, but it was the it was a greater skeleton, so it had two attacks rather than one. Um, they attack, and uh, they try and hit the 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 player. The thing is, they're not just zombies; they are skeletons with boneless on them. Boneless are creatures from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. They are like they are just the skin of a zombie. They have no bones, and they they have this very interesting mechanic where. Um, if they hit a creature twice, they have they have two attacks. So if they attack and both of those hit, they grapple the creature, and the player is then blinded, cannot breathe, uh, and is technically grappled, but they can move. So the zombie would come forward. The characters think, "Oh, they're just zombies." The skeleton would do attack two attacks. They'd be like, "Oh, that's two attacks. That's quite a lot." And then the boneless would attack and grapple and their skin would peel off you know you describe you describe the skin peeling off the bones of the skeleton and reaching out and grabbing the character and pulling itself over them and and stretching over their body um and my god was it effective they loved it they loved the reveal they loved the feel of the twist as more you know and the, the development as more came in um the casters were were terrified because as soon as the bo boneless get get over them they can't talk because they can't breathe and they can't see so they can't cast um it's a fairly easy grapple to break out of it's a dc 13 um but for some casters that's pretty difficult so you know but it, it was a really interesting combat you know when a character moved the bonus moved with them and stayed on them because they're just grappling them um, they have this crushing embrace ability, so at the start of every one of their turns, they take damage. Um, that's their action. So once the bonus is on the creature, they're a lot less deadly than um, uh, the than the two attacks, because they only get one attack, which is a crushing embrace. But it depends, you know, it, a character can't breathe, but, for example, Amelia was grappled for like three turns and didn't have to worry about suffocating because she could breathe for... Um, 10 rounds because she could hold a breath for a minute it's a long time in combat but it was a really interesting encounter um 
and uh, a lot of fun to run and a lot of fun to play through. So yeah, if you're going to run a big undead and you want it to be interesting, have the have describe the creatures as zombies, just normal zombies. Have them be skeletons with boneless on them. And this is a precedent as well in the book. In the lore, it says in Van Richten's guide, I can't remember what it says exactly because the book's on my shelf behind me, but it does say something about the boneless gripping to the bones of skeletons. So use it, do it. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was really interesting. Uh, it's just unfortunate for Wesley how the dice rolled and the fact that he he moved his character to get away and he just happened to without knowing move towards you know the second wave that was coming so it um yeah it was unfortunate but it was a really good encounter and i i definitely encourage you to run it speaking of which let's talk about the actual topic of today's episode because that leads in quite nicely um and it's one that i've been thinking about since it popped up on the discord so this is a topic suggestion from one of the patrons uh it came from from ray actually he uh he said uh topic enemy roles and how they contribute to a dynamic combat um and this is a really interesting one and caleb another um patron said hey i um i use from time to time the 4e kind of roles so um 4e fourth edition had a lot of interesting mechanical things it also had a lot of interesting lore uh, i think 40 is a love it or hate it edition there are parts of it i love parts of it i hate and i think all in all 5e is a lot better and um but i still take some design concepts from it one i don't take is the f is the combat roles so let me try and break this down in the way that i understand it because it's been a while since I've looked at 4th edition, and it's been a while since I've read it, but from what I remember, we'll use a goblin as an example. Um, a creature would have different roles that they could do. So for a goblin, you might have a skirmisher who is fast and will run up and strike you and then run away. You would have um, artillery, who would be someone who would be from range. You would have... Uh, a brute who would be a big heavy like take all the hits but also be up front and fight and that would mean that you would have you know three versions of a stat block for the goblin because you'd have one that would be artillery one that would be a skirmisher one that would be a brute one that would be a controller one that would be a soldier whatever whereas in fifth edition that's all built into the core goblin stat block on the core goblin stat block you have the uh, bonus action disengage you have the short sword the bow or the javelin whatever it is i think it's sh they have a short bow and a javelin potentially i can't remember um you know they've got their average hit points you can up or you know increase or lower them um and so you have this one stat block that can be used in all of those ways immediately without having to get a different one which also means that within combat you can be a lot more dynamic because sorry i'm moving my water bottle um in combat if a player comes up against a goblin in fourth edition it's just a brute okay it'll just stay stand there and hit them or okay it's a it's a ranged person so as soon as they break that distance that goblin kind of becomes nullified and a bit shit whereas in fifth edition if you've got a goblin who's got a decent amount of hit points you know they start off far away with javelins or bows 
you know, doing that artillery roll. Uh, but then as soon as the characters break the distance, they can still come in with a short sword and and fight up close in combat so that they can be dynamic and they can change. So I don't use combat roles in that sense. But I think it's important to take the concept and keep it in your mind because when you're looking at those stat blocks, you know, as a baby DM, I looked at those stat blocks and I thought, wow, this goblin can do so much, but why would I ever have it do all of these things? Now as a as a grown DM, as I have grown through the years, I can look at a stat block and I say, ah, okay, this goblin can start here in the combat, but if he needs to, his tactics can change to this and he can move here and his plan will be to go there or, or whatever. So think about those roles, absolutely. Um, but my advice is to think, uh, think of a creature or a character or whatever having multiple of those roles and being able to flow through them dynamically because that makes them more interesting. The way I use combat roles for encounters is... Um, well, it changes, depends on what we're fighting. For humanoids, I always think about motivation and um, their goals and things. So if you're fighting intelligent you know, people or intelligent goblins or orcs or, or drow or elf or whatever, um, they have goals and missions and things that they have to think of, and that will change their roles within combat. For example, at the end of Dragon Heist, the players were confronted by Jarl Axel and his uh, group of people that he'd picked out from Bregendorf to come with him. And they were confronted as they were leaving the vault, and he said, okay, you can give me half the money, and we can both leave. You can give me all the money, and you can leave. Or, I'm going to let my two commanders here do whatever they want to you, because you killed their best friend and my right-hand man. And I appreciate the hustle. I'm going to give you the chance to give me the money. I'm going to let them attack you. Now, of course, as players, they said, piss off, mate. And they started combat. Now, in that combat, I had Jarl Axel, his two uh, commanders who are much stronger, um, about five Bregendorf members within that tunnel, uh, set up hidden in ambush and then I had little little known to the players at the time until later on um, two more drow just soldiers and a drow wizard uh, waiting down the hall to teleport out so Jal Axel being very smart and a planner had set up this ambush so his two commanders were going to lead the combat and they were going to be the muscle quote unquote and he stood further back and dictated the rest of the drought were all hidden, and it was their job to be artillery. And he, Jal Axel, would stay back and throw his daggers and do whatever he needed to. As the combat progressed, his plan would be to, if he needed to, turn and run, revealing um, the extra drought that he had hidden to cover his back. He would leg it to the wizards, the wizard would teleport him out, and that would be that. Of course, it didn't go that way because the players bested him. but each creature had their own role the commanders their role was to inspire to uh get up there and fight and to effectively do their job fight to the death if they had to they wanted that they wanted their revenge they wanted to kill these guys the standard drow soldiers were artillery 
they were defence, and they were backup. They started as art- artillery to pepper from from back in the cave. They were to form a line between Jarlaxle and the party should they need to. Um, and of course, they were meant to kill the players or survive if they had to. Um, Brain does very loyal to Jarlaxle. Um, and then the wizard is purely there to wait to get Jalaxel out and anyone else should he need to. Um, and the, the two soldiers with him are just a defence without wizard. So they all had these kind of specific jobs to do, these specific roles to play, but some of them were more dynamic than others. And having that allowed me to... Uh, I don't want to keep using the same words, but it allowed me to develop the battlefield and to be reactionary to the player's actions, which leads into that more realistic kind of feeling that more kind of fun interesting puzzle element to a combat nothing is straightforward nothing is we just stand and hit each other until one of us dies it's we're not playing pokemon you know these characters have jobs to do and they will change and develop and i think ultimately that leads to more interesting character character moments in combat as we were talking about last week, but also to more interesting combat in general. Let's take a second to have a drink of water, because I'm very dry. And talk about our wonderful partners. Um, we have, of course, here partnered up with the Dice Dungeon, who are the place to go to get yourself beautiful D&D dice. Now, I have here uh, a set of Kirill the Golden, which I don't know, um, we've, we've had quite a few new people join the podcast recently. Uh, if you aren't aware, a while ago, um, before Joe uh, left for his, uh, his new position, he and I got to name and write the lore for a set of Dice Dungeon dice, and they are the Kirill the Golden set. They are lovely there. Um, silver metal with gold inlay, and they are um, they're gorgeous. They roll very, very well. And the lore that you can read on the Dice Dungeon website was written by Joe and I, and it contains our two characters, uh, Orlo and Galahad. Um, go and check them out. Honestly, I love them. James was rolling them last night and uh, was doing very, very well as Braylar, Battlehammer, the Bray Blade, as we call him. He likes to spin with two swords. Um, uh, yes, he is related to the famous Battlehammer clan. Uh, and and they were rolling very very well. Go and check them out. You can get ten percent off anything you uh, buy within Dice Dungeon by using the code We Speak. Come on, on checkout, and that's on your entire basket too. That's not just you know one item. So um, the more you spend, the more you save. But the Dice Dungeon are amazing guys. They're wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and they've been partnered with us now for over a year. It's been a year now. So they've been with us for a long time, and I appreciate their support. And um, I like to give them support too because I think they're. Their site is is really, really good. I genuinely do. I don't just, you know, I don't just say that because I get to write law for dice. Although that is a big factor of it. <laughs> they are genuinely great guys. So check out the store. Uh, our second patron, of course, is Describe. And Describe are a wonderful site if you are um, struggling with the more story-centric side of D&D. And I think it's a, it's a really fantastic service if creative writing is a struggle for you and um, now i luckily am quite a creative person it's you know it's what i do for a living um, so i i'm i love doing that stuff i love being creative and writing storylines but i know that there are a lot of people who struggle with that and want to play D and want to run games so if you are having a bit of a, a tough time with it check out describe their website is dscryb.com 
again links in the description below and you can have a look at some of their well-crafted and written by professionals creative flavored box text that you can put in your own homebrew games things for spells monsters and locations with items coming soon and if you want access to the entire collection then uh, you can get 10% off your monthly subscription using the code common on checkout too and we've mentioned it a few times this episode but we do have a patreon uh, which is of course the best way to support the show if you want to um the main benefit from that is the fact that you get to come and hang out on the discord which is growing with people every day we have a lot of chats we talk about all the latest D news what's going on in our games we give each other homebrew and talk about critical role for example and all that stuff so you can come and hang out there there are other benefits for example if you are a member of the patreon you get access to the homebrew rule sets that i release um, things like the Spellpoint Sorceress class, the uh, Extended Poison Condition, Araman's Tome of Artifacts, all these books that I've created that you can go and grab. And of course, as time goes on, I will make more that will go up there too. The other thing is you will be the first to hear about new shows and things. There are some bits and bobs in the pipeline. They've been in the pipeline for a while. There's a big project that I'm working on right now that will come out soon. I want to get it out by the end of summer hopefully so i think that's the first time i've really talked about it on the podcast oh that feels that's nerve-wracking um but yeah it's going really well there is something coming and i hope you really like it uh, and if you are a patreon uh, supporter you will get access to that first um so it's uh yeah i'm gonna leave it there i don't want to say too much because i it, i've got a lot i'm, I'm working like three jobs at the moment so i, I don't want to uh Oh, life of freelance um i don't want to um say too much in case it there's a little bit of a wait until it comes out but there is something coming um yeah i think that's all i have to say for this ad break but hey uh if you do want to support the show and you are um you know not in a position to support on patreon that's fine it's just an optional no one has to i never want that to be a thing um but if you want to support the show another way then sharing it, talking about it, telling people to listen, stuff like that, just getting us out in front of people. Growing this community, that's the best way because the best part of this is getting to talk to people who love D&D as much as me. So, yeah, I, I appreciate all support in, in every form. And thank you for listening. And I'm glad that you enjoy it because it brings me joy to talk about D&D every week. I'm in a weird sentimental mood. I'm so sorry. I don't know where this is coming from. Oh because i killed someone a character not a person last night okay uh where were we combat roles let's let's talk about uh, let's make up a hypothetical combat and talk about how you could implement roles in it because i think it's it's good to show how i would do it from step a to z or from start to finish that's a better way to say that so let's say for example you are having a combat with um uh like a a kind of like an adventuring party or like a bandit party maybe bandits let's do bandits do a low level one the roles i would give to those bandits well let's say we've got the leader who is using something like a night stat block or something similar so they have the ability to either use their reaction to get a, a, an ally to attack again or to give them all advantage because they've got like leadership or something something like that their role is to encourage and command so in that sense the way i would play them is they would 
not necessarily be up front, but they'd be near the front. They would be uh, within... They'd always be putting themselves within a position to be able to use that feature, whether it's to grant advantage and they have to be within five feet of an ally. Maybe it's uh, all over to use their reaction, they have to be within 20 feet. Like so They'd always be within reach of an ally to use that ability to really make use of that role. They would also be the member of the the what, enemy or the, the member of the hostile force that makes the call to retreat. Because let's remember, unless a creature is backed into a corner or wants to fight to the death for some reason, there's a good chance that if they get to low hit points, they want to live, they're going to try and run away. So bear that in mind. Then we'd have... Maybe uh, a couple of big guys, the muscle, their job is to get in front of people and take the brunt of the damage. That's their role. They're going to play that kind of tanky, brutey role. And I think it's important to have at least one or two members of an interesting encounter like that, because I find that a lot of other roles tend to, um, for example, if you've got a spellcaster role, they tend to go down easily. So. Bear that in mind. Then we're going to have a controller role, so let's go on to a spellcaster. That could be a spellcaster. It could be someone else. Um, you know, it could be a bard-type character. It could be another kind of leader-type character that has the ability to give commands that have mechanical um, repercussions. But your controller is going to be the, the, the buffer, the person who can do AoE spells, things like that, or AoE attacks. Think about using them in different ways as well. I always like to, I, I like to have a controlly type of role within an encounter if I want there to be a dynamic, fluid change to the battle. Having a spellcaster is a really good way to do that because they have spells that can really change the tide of battle. Hasted enemies are suddenly going to become the focus of your player combat because they can do so much more than normal enemies. Um, you know, a character that, ha uh, an enemy that has hypnotic pattern, deadly, really deadly. Uh, so they're going to become a focus for combat too. So bear that in mind. And if you've got someone who is a controller and playing a controlling role, then think about having uh, a relationship between your enemy characters. You know, they're going to know that they want to protect that person, um, especially if they have a way of getting everyone out safely. Another interesting role to put in is maybe a kind of sneaky thief role. Um, it's always interesting to have uh, some sort of, like goblins, They to make goblins interesting, they can disengage and engage, you know, disengage and hide on their turn, right? Having a role that can do that adds dynamic to the fight as well. You know, that's kind of your sneaky, skirmishy role. Um, and this is the thing, I don't want to define them too much because you have to be fluid with them because... If I've got a character, let's say I've got a halfling thief, you know, a halfling master thief, whose whose aim in the combat is to disrupt the characters, and they can disengage and hide on their turns because they've got bonus actions and things. I might use them to try and steal from the party while they're distracted by the brutes. Maybe that's their mission. They want to steal an item, right? Maybe their bag of holding or their their MacGuffin or whatever. Them having that role in combat is going to add dynamics to it but it's also going to be difficult for them it's not going to they might not necessarily have the opportunity to do that but they're going to try so make sure that you're fluid and like yeah they have that role but they're still a 
person they're still a halfling thief who wants to live and and you know not get stabbed so they're going to react and think through this stuff a role doesn't mean that they're straight up going to do this one thing they're still still make them feel living and breathing still make them feel like they have stuff to do so yeah you've got a combat there that's got a leader who's going to try and give the commands you've got a couple of brutes who are whose idea is to their plan is to get in and and distract you've got uh maybe a wizard or uh, a druid or something that has a little bit of control or a little bit of buff to help the party out um and then you've got the thief who's got the, se- the actual secret mission of stealing something that's an interesting counter with humanoids how do you do it with creatures let's look at uh let's think of a decent kind of um animalistic creature let's think of a wolf pack for example and this is this is going to be a little bit different because they're not going to have the same kind of intelligence as humanoids, but a wolf pack's still going to have roles to play, right? Let's say you've got a wolf pack of six wolves. One of them's the alpha. One of them is that leader role who is going to be utilizing those pack tactics. It's going to be staying near, near the, 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 the fighters, as it were, to allow those pack tactics. You're going to have the main force, let's say two or three wolves, whose job it's going to be their role is to get around the party and keep attacking them um, or get in front of them and keep attacking them. And then you'll have those extra two who want to get behind and circle them in. Think about wolves in real life. They have roles in the way that they hunt, right? A couple of them are going to be the ones that chase and push the prey into a favorable position. They're your fighters. They're your brutes who get up front. There's going to be a couple maybe three or four, whose job it is to snake around and sneakily get around and block the party in so that they can't just run away. Um, you know, if, if they're in a position where they're flanking, not necessarily using the flanking rule, uh, the party are going to get opportunity attacked if they try and run out. So there is a very simple way to use roles within combat because now you've always got a wolf allowing someone, another wolf to use pack tactics. You've got the, the main body of the force pushing the combat, pushing the, cre- the, the players and, and fighting them and dealing with damage. And you've got those other ones who are sneaking off around to block them in so they can't just run away. Yeah, okay, those wolves might be easy for your level three players to take down or four or five or whatever you're playing at, you know? Doesn't matter. Characters, nine times out of ten, are going to live through a combat encounter. That's the point, right? But it's going to be tricky. And having those roles and having that dynamic is going to add an interesting element to it. And that's, that's the aim. That's the goal. The goal isn't to kill your characters. However, they might think it is after three sessions of deaths in a row. Um, it, but it is, it is to put them in tricky situations and for them to have to adapt and achieve something by surviving them. It's a difficult subject to go really deep into because I don't think I ever go that deep in it myself. I, it's kind of stuff that I always think about when building encounters. And it's just an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to talk about and put in the forefront of your mind if you haven't before. So I would definitely advise thinking more about your, your creatures in combat as what they want to achieve and what they want to do. Even if you roll a random encounter for a wolf encounter, you know, okay, well, they want to... They want to hunt. They're on a hunt. There you go. That's why the encounter's happened. Maybe you've got an undead encounter. Well, okay, well, what, what do the undead want? Well, they want to eat. Okay, cool. So their roles are to surround and, and devour. Um, 
you know, the boneless last night, right? In that encounter, they they wanted to get on the body. That's their they have this innate want to get around living things and devour them and crush them. So that's what they want to do. And that's their role. Their role is to be unrelenting in their assault. There's the skeletons. They want to eat and bite and chew their zombies, basically. Um, but those two roles are different because if a boneless gets around a, a creature, the skeleton isn't going to be as interested in them. They might still be a little bit, but once they realise they can't eat that, that creature anymore, you know, they're, they're not going to go for it. So everything can have a role in combat. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm the thief, but it can be the, the more animalistic, I want to eat or I want to survive. You know, think about that and use it. I think I've come to the end of that one, you know. I think I've said everything I want to say, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. I'd love to hear any deeper analysis you have for that. Because um, maybe I'm not thinking about it deep enough, you know. Let me know. Uh, you can get in contact with We Speak Common on the Twitter, at We Speak Common, uh, on the Instagram, at We Speak Common, where we speak common at hotmail.com to email. If you're a patron, just talk to me on the dis- uh, Discord, that's fine. Um, you know, let me know what you think. Let me know your thoughts on everything I've said today. I want to, I want the back and forth. I want to know what you think. Um, but yeah, cool. I think I'm going to leave it there. Um, it's a bit of a shorter one, but I, uh, I think it's a small topic, but, but again, it's a small topic, but it's an important one. It's, it's a good one to think about when building your, your encounters. I no doubt expect more news will come out over the course of the next few weeks and months for for D&D books and things. So uh, as ever, keep up to date over on the Twitter. I like to tweet things every now and then. I'm trying to be more active there because I've not been recently. I've been quite busy. I want to be more active on social media. Um, So keep an eye out on that and follow us if you don't already um, uh, to engage in conversation there. Um, And I I will catch you next week to talk about whatever we talk about. If you have a topic, send it in and we will, of course, get to it as and when we can. Have a a great rest of your day and, uh, hey, if you've killed a character recently, it's okay. Don't feel too bad. It's part of the game. (laughs) All right. I'll catch you later. Thanks for listening today. If you like the show, do us a favor, leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. Send us to your fellow DMs and players so that we can build our community even more. It really helps to get us out in front of more eyes. If you want to support the show, you can by joining our Patreon. Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive.